Hi everyone, Lauren here with a new podcast episode. So today I'm doing another author interview with Gabriel Garcia, known as Gabe. Um, He's an author on the Inkit platform. He's written several books and we're going to be diving into a few of those in this session. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, this is Lauren with a new podcast episode. Today we're doing an author interview with Gabriel Garcia. That's your real name, right? Yes, that is my real name. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Um, it's also uh, your name on for your Inkit platform as well. So if anyone is interested in looking into uh, Gabriel's books, I will have a link in the bio for you guys to go to. So Hey, Gabriel, um, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about your um, experience on Inkit or with writing. All right. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Gabriel Garcia. I also go by Gabe. I've been um, writing on Inkit for, I want to say, since the beginning of last year. Um, I started writing when I was still during my uh, master's at San Francisco State, and when I had to um, go back home due to the uh, quarantine, I still continued writing, and writing's been a way for me to um, escape from being locked up in my uh, my house, and in the process, I've been able to finish so many projects that I started during my undergrad year, so... That's really, really awesome. And I really hope you get to enjoy the stories on Inkit. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably feel the same way. <laughs> That's kind of when I started writing on Inkit too, was during quarantine. It, it just had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's your undergrad in? Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your background with schooling and stuff. Is it, it with writing or just, you know, writing your hobby? Um, writing was... I is my hobby. Um, I've gone through a few stages during my undergrad. Mm-hmm. I initially wanted to be an illustrator, uh, graphics designer, but then I transitioned into history. And from there, I became in love with history. Um, my friend Kim, as who you had on your podcast recently, she knows I'm a very historical person. I love writing about history. I love reading history. And that was uh, my major in undergrad. Well, it was Asian studies, but now I'm pursuing my master's in history, specifically the age of antiquities. Oh, okay. So what, what's your favorite uh, time period? Oh, that's like choosing your favorite foods. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I, it's hard to choose what's my favorite time period. I have so many. I love um, the Roman Republic, the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, medieval Europe, um, ancient China. If I had to choose a specific time frame, I, I would have to say the early medieval period. I know that's broad, but it covers a lot of areas that I'm really interested in from early medieval Europe, medieval England, the Viking Age, the eras of the dawns of the samurai, and just so much. That's really cool. Um, I think 
I think my favorite is like somewhere around the Renaissance period. And, but I also love the Tudors <laughs> from England. So that period is definitely uh, interesting to me. It sounds like your books are, are um, very historical based um, from what I've seen. Was it, would you say that's correct? Yes. Yes. So the first full book that I finished on ink, it was the gathering and the gathering was my attempt to do something um, similar with a group of characters, but have it be different. So in the gathering, you have seven different characters from different eras in history. You have a Spartan from the battle of Plataea, a Roman from the battle of Car uh, Carthage. Um, you have a Celt from the early invasions of Britannia. You have a Norse shield maiden during the siege of Paris. You have a knight from the Hundred Years' War, a samurai from the invasion of Korea, and a Mohawk from the Seven Years' War. So they're from very different histories and different time periods, and they all come together on this uh, fantasy earth, and they pretty much have to work together as this ragtag group. It's as I've told my friends, think Magnificent Seven and Lord of the Rings merged together, <laughs> and that's what The Gathering is. Oh, that's really cool. Um, I like I like stuff like that where people team up. So how did they, um, I mean, I, I know that's one, just only one of your books, but I'm, I'm interested to know, how did these um, people find each other over time? Did, was it, is it like time traveling or something? It is a kind of like time traveling. I mean, the book, there's on this one planet, there's this famous stone just known as the Moonstone. And the locals use the magic to draw things from different time periods, from different worlds, multiverses. And um, what happens is one of the mages of that world, the last mage, sends out a beacon to recruit champions from Earth. And it's completely random. So the heroes will either, either be electrocuted by this blue lightning, but not die. They'll either be blinded by this blue light. They'll either, someone get pulled into a whirlpool that's blue. Everything blue related ties to the moonstone. And they're just dropped up in these various parts of this world. And all they want to do is, um, get back home but without spoiling it for those who haven't read it they'll come um across a very difficult situation um when it comes to getting back home and the consequences of going back oh well that's really cool so that's known as the gathering yes for people listening. okay okay and they can find that on ink it as well yes Great. Uh, so are a lot of your other books like historical fantasy or do you write in other genres as well? Um, I write in different genres. I do a little bit of fan fiction, a little bit of short stories. Um, right now I'm working on just a soul fantasy novel, which is Michael. But mm -hmm. my other books, um, Star Wars, Son of Mandalore, is a fan fiction. Uh, Justice League is a fan fiction. Assassin's Creed, that's also a fan fiction. So I go between historical 
fiction slash fantasy, short stories, fan fictions, and then just soul fantasy. I think I think my uh, fiance would really like your Star Wars fan fiction. He is such a Star Wars nerd. <laughs> <laughs> we actually went to a uh, Star Wars trivia night, and I ragged on him because we didn't win. Oh. <laughs> there were some things though, like they t- they they don't just go with like the Star Wars franchise. They talk about like games, extended universe, like everything. So he doesn't know everything. But I, but <laughs> it was all good fun. Nice. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about Michael, Last Angel of Earth. That's the one that I am going to be reviewing soon for our first chapter review. Of course. So Michael, The Last Angel of Earth um, initially began as a short story for a contest I was submitting it for, but... I liked the concept that came about and it kind of reminds me of a little bit of the movie Logan and a little bit of the first and second, oh, I'll just say the Darksiders video game series. And I wanted to do something that was a little bit different, but that theme was still there. So in Michael as Angel Birth, you have Archangel Michael, the warrior angel, and he is in charge of what are known as the Watchers. They are angels that guard humanity. And he wants to prevent another war between the Army of Darkness and the Watchers. So without giving too much spoilers, he thinks he does something right, but in actuality he causes the end of the world and he has to live with the knowledge that he caused the apocalypse. And because of that, he is stripped of his wings. He's given the name, a Nephilim name known as Barjan. And he lives his life um, in complete um, solitude, though he is with other humans but then something draws him back into the fight. And now he has to go on this quest to not only save the world and fix the damages that he's done, but also forgive himself for his actions and come at, uh, I should say, come to a peace within himself, find some internal peace. Interesting. So when you say that Michael is like stripped of his wings, is do you mean like like all his angelic powers? So when he becomes Barjan, he's basically a human, or does he still have some stuff like supernatural abilities? The only thing Michael has after he's he's literally he, his wings are literally pulled out of him. Spoilers: his wings are literally pulled out of his body, and he has tattoos now that shows. Um, his angelic past. And the only thing he has left from his time as an archangel is his warrior skills. So he's mortal. He could easily die. The only thing he has to protect himself is his knowledge of how to use um, the sword um, Hellfire, which for those who have read or have known... um, Judeo-Christian traditions, that is the sword that is um, 
used to guard the heavens until um, the final days. Yes. Wow, that's really cool. I mean, because, you know, with revelations and stuff, like, you don't think Michael would be the one to cause the apocalypse. Yeah. Or at least, you know, uh, be the end times. Usually it's the, the beast that everyone talks about in Revelations, mm -hmm. who everybody thinks of as the Antichrist. Right. So, yeah. Wow. That's a definite twist. It is. <laughs> so, um, as I do have some questions, like, and I don't want to spoil it too much for people. I don't know it, what you're comfortable with asking, but um, as Barjan, you said that he's like, he, he can die. He's easy to kill. So, when he ends up losing his powers, is he, is he like reborn as Barjan or is he just the same age or whatever age he, he was in heaven, like 20 year old or something? Um, I'm just throwing an example out there because I haven't read the book. Does he start off like that or is, is he actually like reborn as a baby? Um, that's actually a good question. Um, I didn't establish what age uh, the angels are because we don't, we don't know mm -hmm. the age of angels. We, have these images and drawings that they're very young looking, like in their twenties or thirties. So when Barge or say when Michael has his wings stripped out and he's now mortal, he is the age that he's now twenty years old or in his twenties. So he looks like a um young adult um now. He looks like a regular uh, human being in his Oh okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. So he, so he like, I guess ends up somewhere on earth and he finds the local monastery as your summary says, and just kind of joins yes. it. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Do, do, and I know this might be a spoiler, but do the people in the monastery kind of know that who he is or have an inkling? There's only two. Um, there's a girl that. Um, when he was an angel that he found, well, he's, I should say, he found a young girl with his team, and she's the only one that knows his past. There is another person. He is an Irish abbot, quote-unquote, not really an abbot, but he's sort of taken that role, who has an idea. He knows who Barjan was, but he doesn't press Barjan to come forth. He... He understands why he cannot um, tell anyone who he was. Gotcha. Does Barjan have his full memory intact of who he was, or is he missing bits and pieces? He remembers everything. And in the, I've written in the later chapters, and I don't mind spoiling this because this is an inspiration from Samurai Jack, the fifth season, where his anxiety, his subconscious is literally telling him to just kill himself because why are we continuing to live like this? I don't want to live like this anymore. Let's just let's just off ourselves. And Barjan has to continually fight saying, no, I have found some kind of peace. I found some uh, normality, some quietness because he just wants to live um, a quiet life in this hellish world where pretty much, and this is a big spoiler, but I don't mind talking about this, where pretty much Earth is controlled by the, the army of darkness. And 
the army of darkness is not solely just the armies of Lucifer. You have Set, um, a Set, um, Basset, the warrior goddess, Hela, Loki, uh, Fenrir, Jormungandr, the four demons, Akuma, every evil entity, folklore being, or mythological creature that we that are part of different cultures and mythologies, they run the world. They own Earth. Wow. So, um, question. Is this um, set before the Earth that we know now, or is this like a dystopian Earth in the future? Um, in the, the book is sort of like, it's between our world now and this dystopian world. So okay. um, in the beginning chapters, it's still our present time. But then the later chapters, it's four years into this dystopian world where it's it's just hell to live in. Gotcha. Do they kind of revert back to like medieval ways in the dystopian earth? Kind of. It's kind of, you could say, a little bit of medieval, and then some places are a little bit more advanced. But that just because that province or that region's occupied by a lower demon, a sub-demon, or some form of demonic creature, be it a troll, cyclops, dragon, uh, manticore, etc. Gotcha. So basically the providences and towns and stuff that, uh, I guess, place their loyalty in the demonic forces are more advanced than the ones that are still trying to fight them. Is that accurate? Yes, yes, that is correct. Oh, well, that's really cool. It's, it sounds like you've got a lot of world building that's going to go on in this book. Um, I'm really excited to see what a post-apocalyptic world is. Thank you. I plan to make this into a trilogy of books, so um, I already have the titles written out. So the first book is Michael, Last Angel of Earth, and the second book is entitled Michael, The Great Rebellion, and the final book of this series is called Michael, The Last Crusade. Oh, okay. Well, that definitely gives some insight onto where these books are going to be going. Um I'm really excited to see what all you have in store. Are you planning on getting this book or any of your other books published? Um, I, I do. And in fact, um, one of my books, The Gathering, I got that copywritten um, a while ago. Actually, not a while ago. It was about a few months. And after I got that uh, copyright, I then sent it to... Um, Fletcher books that deals in um, fantasy and sci-fi. So I sent it to them to look over for a possible publication. And I should hear from them by early April. Oh, well, uh, good luck. I hope you do uh, hear some positive news back from them for sure. Um, how did you find them? Did you, did you, um, research them or? I, I researched, um, the, I researched them along with other publishers because, and we can probably go more in depth about this later in the interview, but just for a brief overview, um, 
I look at the publishers to make sure that they are um, reputable, that they are they have good relations, they're well received within the uh, book world, and they don't have a lot of negativity because. I'm sure, as you know, you have probably researched and just found publishers that don't necessarily have a good track record when it comes to um, new authors and how they handle books. Yeah, I've I've see, I've come across some of that in in my own research with uh, different publishers and stuff. I like to ask about um, other publishers because, and especially for like the people listening because I obviously have not researched every single one. Right. There's so many out there. There's small ones, there's medium ones, there's the big five that are really hard to get into yeah. without like a, an, an agent backing you or, you know, having already been very successful. So, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, are, so with these three books or I guess you just have the one up on Inkit right now. And I see that it's ongoing currently. Do you already have the other chapters planned out? Um, for Michael? For, yes, for yes. Michael. So what I do, and I started doing this with The Gathering, I write um, out a book outline. So that way I have an idea of how many chapters I want to go, how in depth I want to go. So right now I've set the uh, book, uh, Michael to be around 36 chapters and right now currently on ink it I know it says 13 but the prologue is not really the first chapter even though ink it kind of counts it as it right now there's yeah. only 12 chapters up on ink it okay um how often do you post on this book just for people who are following along with it it varies um right now with school and everything that does take a, a bit of my time and right now i'm in the middle of my third semester in the master's program so whenever i have a free time i will write it out on on word doc first before I transfer it over to ink it. So I don't have a set schedule. It's just whenever I have uh, free time. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I try to schedule mine out, but life has been kicking me around recently. So it's been a little tough. Um, well, that's really cool. Do you have your other two books in the series planned out as well? Like, do you have an outline or you kind of are waiting to finish the first one and then going to work on um, the I plan to finish um, Michael, but then I, I also want to go back to finishing up Decimus because I was also working on that story as well. And for those who have read The Gathering, um, I've started doing early this year an anthology series of spin-offs of the characters from the gathering so i plan out this uh series of books following the characters following what ifs in their lives and the what ifs tie hugely to what happens in the end of the gathering so i don't want to spoil it but after i finish michael i plan to go back to finishing um, Decimus, because I already have a outline already made for that. 
Oh, okay. So, well, that's, that's really neat. Do you have, or do you use any kind of writing tools or online writing tools to help you with like editing and uh, outlines and stuff? Um, I use Grammarly, which definitely helps with punctuation and just spelling errors. I have had this tendency to switch between past and present in my stories. And I have been working to make sure that most of my stories are in past tense and some stories to be in present tense. And in terms of other stuff, I've recently been using, um, I don't know if you heard of this software program called Campfire Technology. They have... Okay different setups of making a timeline, uh, subplots, main plots. You can uh, put like your different time frames or just say your different uh, ways you want to categorize time. You can go like not BCE or CE. You can do like before something, something and after something, something. So I've been dabbling with that every now and then. And it does help. I find that it gives a clear idea of the years because I myself have had to go back and edit and figure, wait a minute, I said that this is, oh, 20 years, but in actuality, I stated previously that it's only been four years, so I had to change that to make sure it <laughs> was correct. Huh. Yeah, I've done the, I've done uh, stuff similar to that, um, just trying to find uh, plot holes and make it consistent throughout throughout the books you know what you're saying you don't want your character's eye colors to change mid you know mid <laughs> yeah that, unless somehow some magic that you've written allows it to happen <laughs> that's fine but if they somehow just change out of the blue you may need to fix that yeah exactly and readers will pick up on that they're very smart and they're very attentive to what they're reading so they will call you out <laughs> that is true <laughs> But it sounds like you, you have a very organized way of uh, getting your, your books together. I mean, you have 18 of them. So I would you probably have to keep up with all of them. Yeah, I have 18. And those are actually from, some of those are actually from stories that I began writing in middle school that I just put up there just, just for the fun. I may go back to them or I may incorporate them into my up my main story that I'm really interested in um case in point um warriors of the moon that was my first attempt at the sci-fi genre and then when I started writing the gathering I decided you know what I'm going to incorporate warriors of the moon into the gathering lore and have that um tie into the world building because in Warriors of the Moon, I mentioned the the Moonstone way before the gathering was even a thought. So I wanted to have the Warriors of the Moon story be like the origin, the precursor to the gathering narrative. So I set that at maybe 10,000 years into the gathering um, lore. Oh, so you have some stories that are in the same universe. Yes. That's pretty cool. I mean, I've always liked, you know, DC and Marvel comics where everything's like in the same universe or they have multiverses and they converge at some at certain points. So that was always that pretty is. cool. 
All right. So is Inkit your only writing platform or do you have others? Uh, Inkit is my only writing platform. Um, I've also been able to make a lot of friends on Inkit. And I know a lot of my friends have used uh, fanfiction.net or Wattpad. And I considered it, but I I wasn't really too um, impressed with fanfiction or Wattpad. Now, for any readers or writers that want to use Wattpad, um, you can use it. I don't want to discourage you for using Wattpad or fanfiction. But just for me, I liked Inkit's platform and the way they have the thing set up a little bit more than those two. I would I would agree with you. Um, I haven't tried fan fiction. I haven't tried writing fan fiction. So I, I guess I assume that, you know, the fan fiction sites are, you know, for that. <laughs> but I did um, join Wattpad and Inkit at the same time, just because I wanted to see which one I liked better because, and it wasn't, it wasn't too much about being able to you know, which one was better. It was more like I can only dedicate time to one writing right. platform <laughs> instead of, you know, posting between the two. So um, Wattpad was a little more difficult for me to navigate than Inkit was. So that's why I chose it, uh, the Inkit platform over Wattpad. But I'm not super technology savvy. So somebody else might think that Wattpad is better, has more, it, it definitely did have a little some more features I would say but it just kind of confused me I guess I'm just old Same. school <laughs> you know just give me a piece of pen and paper you know right. something to type on <laughs> I also had a harder time getting people to view my books on Wattpad than I did on I will do that too um I yeah. tried it I did like an old story of mine and it didn't necessarily get a lot or it wasn't really out there as I wanted to be, and I I didn't use it as much, so I decided to go to Inkit and actually cross scratch that there was one other platform that I used and it was Prose, and I put some of my old work mm -hmm. on Prose, but I kind of kind of the same thing, um, Prose. It's very similar to Inkit in the way that you could publish through prose, but the one thing that Inkit has over prose is that you can actually see your demographics and how many people actually read your stuff, whereas prose, you don't get that. Oh, okay. Yeah, the analytics was, a, was definitely easier to read, too. Um now, now with Inkit, they definitely have some bugs that they have to work out with analytics because there are some stories that aren't like that don't update as well as others, some of the updates. But other than that, um, I thought Inkit was okay with their analytics. I agree. I agree. Inkit definitely does have a few uh, bugs and glitches to work out, but overall, I'm impressed with everything else about them. Yeah, yeah. And just for listeners out there, um, if you want to check out any of those um, websites that we were talking about with Wattpad, Inkit, um, Pros, it seems, uh, definitely feel free to do that and make your own conclusions about it. But I like talking to, you know, authors and see what their 
thoughts are on different writing platforms, just because I don't know about all these writing platforms. So it's really interesting for me to learn some of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, back to your stories, are you planning on writing any or starting any other stories on Inkit? Or you just want to focus on the ones you have on there um, right now? I do want to um, finish the ones that I have started. But I have in my, my drafts, I have a whole bunch of other stories that are tie-ins to the ones I've already established. So I'll give you the titles for those. So um, for the Gathering uh, spinoffs, um, I've already finished um, Amnivis. I still got to work on Decimus. Then I have uh, Sinbul, uh, Mistress of the Empire, and Tira, A Quest for Valhalla. So that's the end of that series. Then for the other half of the Gathering series, entitled um, Gathering the Saga Continues, you have Richard, Heir to the Templar Order, um, Kylo Mori, Defender of the Rising Sun, and Sparrow, um, A New World. And that'll be the end of that. Then I have um, Son of Mandalore, Book 2, Operation Nightfall. And Son of Mandalore, Book 3, Knights of the Force. Then I also, as I mentioned um, earlier, the Michael Trilogy. And then I also have another book that I do want to get to eventually called The Ranger. It's my own take on the Patriot story with Mel Gibson, but combining it with um, the Northwest Passage story with Spencer Tracy and Last Mohican's uh, story with Daniel D. Lewis. And then the last three one-off stories are um, Horus, The Last God, tied into the Michael storyline, Ruzla, I know it's Luda there, but I'm going to change it. Um, Ruzla, the Stone Guardian, and Valkyrie, the Queen's Guard. Wow, it sounds like you got a lot uh, coming up in the works here. Are those going to be full novels, or are they going to be like short stories? They or, may just be you know? um, solo stories that are tied to an anthology series, whereas some will probably be more into novel like be a novel trilogy so the star wars will tie into son of mandalore the gathering one-offs will be their own series and the other gathering one-offs will be their own series and of course michael and his trilogy and the ranger will just be its own standalone book wow you got a lot of writing yes today. let's just finish the one <laughs> i think you're gonna be waiting on me <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's your favorite part about writing um, did you have any favorite parts in Michael that you like just enjoyed writing about the things I like about Michael writing about Michael is how do I take these these figures in um, uh, tradition Judeo-Christian traditions and um, keep to their main their characters of who we know them through the Bible and other retellings, but give them a fresh take because I know my friend Kim, when when she um, 
gave the first review of Michael Pizzillo in the work, she said that she was impressed of how um, I was able to take these characters from these different religions and mythologies, have them be reinterpreted a little bit, but stay true to the core of who they are because that was the biggest risk I was afraid of because I know we've seen in Hollywood they've done the same thing and I know a lot of people were not happy with how Hollywood takes on interpreting these characters so that was definitely the challenge but it was also a fun challenge because I wanted to do something new Well, I think it's always um, a good idea to give your spin on, you know, an old favorite character, just because it, it, like you said, it does make them fresh and new and exciting. And I like, I actually like books that make me think like, huh, what if that actually happened? Or, wow, I didn't think of it that way, you know? Like, I like leaving movie theaters after movies, too, and, and talking to my friends and being like, oh, my gosh, like, that was really good. I never thought of this, this, and this could happen or, you know, just, it, it, I don't know. It's just interesting I, to me. So I, I personally like those kind of takes. Thank you. And I also do that a lot for history because I know alternate history um, is a bit of tricky because there are, as I've seen, there's probably two different genres of alternate history. The ones I've seen are completely like far out there to the point of fantasy that could not even possibly happen. But then you have the ones that are very close to, you know, what could possibly happen. And case in point, World War II. There are so many books, alternate history books in World War II just the slightest tweak in our history, you could have had something completely different. And I like doing that for um, Alton history. Case in point, um, the Amnita storyline and the Decimus storyline, one-offs of the gathering, do deal in um, alternate history. So I encourage all um, readers who are interested in that genre to go check them out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, um, there's definitely a big deal between uh, what you call your genre, either like historical fantasy or alternate history or historical fiction. Like people get real up in arms if you call your fantasy novel historical yeah. fiction. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've had it happen. <laughs> I had to change my genre. And I was like, yeah, I, wrong one. I haven't had that um, <laughs> happen to me yet, but you know, it, it could happen at um, any moment. I'm surprised no one's done that for 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 the two spinoff ones because they are kind of a little bit of fantasy, but they are delving into history. And I do plan on writing one more like true historical fiction story. It's up on my ink it and it's um the failed quest. And just a little overview on that. It's probably the most forgotten piece of history where Japan invades Korea in the late 1500s and you have this character, he's half Japanese half Korean and he has this ensemble cast this this is his crew I, I, I joke that they are the expendables of medieval Japan you have a Philippine you have a Thai warrior 
you have two brothers from Ming China, you have a ninja, you have a warrior or say a vagabond a warrior who was a criminal and was a ronin, you have a Dutch mercenary, and you have a French mercenary who all joined to make this one ensemble group, and they pretty much take part in Japan's invasion of Korea in the late medieval world. Oh, and one other character that's in that group is Yosuke, the first and only um, African samurai in Japanese history. Oh. Yeah, that's that's really neat. What what's your favorite character across your book that you like your like just one? Your all time. My favorite, favorite all time character, character to write. Um I said this on another podcast. I believe it was yes, it was Mystic. And it had to be Michael because mm-hmm. I draw a lot of stuff from um other genres to make Michael and I'm going to say this again, and I don't know if you've heard this, but that writers are liars, cheaters, and thieves. Uh, well, I I don't know if I've heard that around, but then again, you know, I've only been around the Inkit platform and some of these writer writing communities for just a little over a year now. So. Yeah when I explained it to her, and the reason why I, I say that is because I was at a writing conference a while ago, well, not a while ago, a few years ago, and this indie um, author explained that, you know, all writers are liars, cheaters, and thieves, and she broke it down that writers are liars because we make stuff up. Um, we are cheaters because we cheat people out of their time to read something. And thieves because we steal things from other writers or from other medias and incorporate it into our own story. And hearing that, I was thinking, oh, wow, she's actually right. Because there are so many books that almost have the same premise. So many movies that share the same plot that we've seen countless times. That's why we go and watch those movies because the plot is so familiar, or we read a different book that has a familiar plot. Okay, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Makes it sound horrible, but okay. (laughs) I I had to explain it because (laughs) I I want people to um, understand what I mean and not give the idea that, oh, writers are bad people. We, We steal from other people and don't get credit or credits do no we we just borrow a lot of stuff from things that we like and incorporate into our own stories well i guess that would that's where the term inspiration comes from plagiarism, yeah, plagiarism is completely, completely different from You're literally inspiration taking something <laughs> from someone else's work and incorporating it to your own thing but that that is bad and i want to say that that is horrible but being inspired by something that you're passionate like a movie a film uh a comic book or even a song that sparks something in your head like oh i want to write about this that's that's good yeah exactly but i see where she's coming from uh or the person that told you that phrase um i definitely see where that's coming from 
but yeah, interesting. I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, but yeah. All right. Um, so do you have any advice for any aspiring writers out there? Um, there's just one quote that I think all writers should um, know about. Pardon me. Um, it's um, write drunk and edit sober. And what I mean is um, get your ideas down on a page, even if it's not complete or it's not polished, get them down on a page because you can't edit a blank page. And step away from the computer or if you have a typewriter, step away from that. And then when your mind is clear, then you can edit and hence edit sober. You're editing with a clear mind. And that's what I try to do. I write my own, I write what I want on Google Docs and I step away for an hour or two and then I come back to edit it or continue the train of thought that I had. Ah, yeah, sometimes I feel like I, I write drunk yeah, no, I'm not. don't drink right. Don't drink <laughs> when, when I you back to edit. When you write, or, well, I mean, <laughs> we've seen Alice in Wonderland. I think what was it the story that he wrote the story when he was high or something? I remember hearing something like that in high school. That yeah, he definitely yeah. Was doing a little don't, bit don't, more. Don't do that. Don't don't <laughs> do that. Just just put your ideas down on paper or where where you type and step away and come back to it with a clear head. That's pretty good advice, especially with the editing part, because there's some stories we've seen on some of these writing platforms that Agreed. could use a little bit more. <laughs> so just know that if, uh, for my listeners out there, if you are wanting me to review your story, um, please make sure that you have edited it because that really does affect uh, the, the rating, at least for me. So fair warning. <laughs> I had a, um, I've, I've read some books and, um, and given, you know, like taken a whole star away just because the, the way it was written, like the grammar was just. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've, I've seen that even in like yeah. um, published works from other, from like, like big authors. I've seen like, I, I think that was a typo or that, that shouldn't be there. And I'm thinking this is printed. They should have looked at this before. Exactly. I, I do gloss over like minor mistakes in some, in some, you know, in some instances, like if, you know, there's supposed to be a comma there and there's not like, that's nothing. Or even like, you know, there was like a small missing article, like it should have said like a book and it just said book or something like it didn't flow from that one missing word. As long as that's not riddled throughout your book, I'm okay. But if it's like constant, you know, having to stop and pause and be like, wait, that word is spelled wrong or wait, this is a, this is like a, the sentence is like a paragraph long. Then that's where you got agree. Some issues going I on. really agree. Yeah, because you're you're pulling the reader out of the story essentially, and the whole point of reading right. is to get lost in your story. So, 
but yeah, um, I, I would say there, there have been a few published books, uh, that I've caught some small, small errors, nothing big. I mean, every, you know, to err is human, but, uh, but some other ones that I've read definitely like what, what was going on here. <laughs> so what are you currently reading? Um... Are you I was reading um, a Star Wars book, um, Imperial Commandos, Story of the 501st. And I put that away for now because I was reading a lot of books for school. And the book I just finished reading for school for one of my classes was the Indian epic, the Mahabharata. And I just got to say, Indian epics compared to Western epics like the Odyssey and the Iliad, it's it's completely fascinating because in the Odyssey and the Iliad, they're not necessarily creating, they're not world building per se, but in the Mahabharata, the one that I'm reading, it's like a huge world building storyline of these different families. And like the ideas that they were thinking about during this time and this book is supposed to be like during like the classical era and they make reference to um, artificial births. And I'm thinking, how would somebody come up with a concept like that back in the day or what we now consider artificial births and these weapons that are mentioned in the Mahabharata, these are nuclear style weapons that make the Greek weapons obsolete. Wow, that's really cool. I don't know. We'll yeah. have to start reading some books. It's a very fascinating <laughs> book. Books. And <laughs> in, that other, in that other class, I'm also reading, I won't go into too detail about this, but I'm also reading um, the Kama Sutra. And that's all I'll say. I don't want to scar your readers, but that's all. Just... Funny story about that book. Um, we used to actually have that book in our high school library and it got stolen <laughs> so many why? times that they just stopped carrying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just completely stopped carrying it. We're like, we're done. Can't can't keep it on the shelf <laughs> with these kids. So, but yeah, I, I don't know why we had it in our high school library, but yeah. it was there. So <laughs> But anyways, um, we're approaching an hour. So is there any final words you, that you would like to say to any listeners out there about reading, writing, the Inkit There's platform? There's actually one question I had on, to you. I want to ask you this question. I wonder if you may have come across this term in your own research for publishing. Have um, are you aware of the term vanity publishing or vanity publishers? And um, if you are, um, could you explain to the readers um, what that is so they have a better understanding to um, notice or look out for? Absolutely. So vanity publishing which is basically a curse word in the publishing world now, <laughs> just so everybody knows, is basically um, self-publishing. Um, it's it's a self-publisher, but it's usually like you'll see them on Google. Like if you ever put in publishing and you see those ads that pop up on Google, um, 
those advertised publishers are usually self-publishing companies where they will publish your book, but they, of course, they charge you for it um, because they're, it's technically self-publishing. And in some cases, they'll actually make the author buy their own books. Sometimes they're discounted. Sometimes they're not. And then um, the author, it's up to the author to distribute their own books or sell their own books. Um, so that's pretty much what a vanity publisher is. Some of them have gotten really smart and they will say that they distribute your books for you or whatever, but they still make you buy some of them. Um, some, and, and I will say that there are hybrid publishers out there that aren't vanity publishers that will have you buy a couple of your books just for um, your own purposes. Like if you want to go and show your books to a bookstore, you know, and see if they'll carry it on the shelf for you, or if you want to do a book signing, that's, that's normal. But the vanity publishers, they're a little more, scammy basically they'll they'll basically they just kind of take your money and their distribution services they don't help you with marketing they don't really offer much else besides just um printing your book off for you um some of them might slap it up on amazon but i would say that you might want to self-publish yourself with kindle or barnes and nobles press instead of going through any of them because Kindle and, and Barnes and Nobles will do the same thing, but at least they have a huge backing and following, you know, and they actually have um, some things you can do for editing, um, for cover services, and for advertising, which vanity publishers don't usually that, offer. That is true. And I do want to say this out there for readers. Um, I've actually um, I'm experienced vanity publishing. Um, there was one company one book publisher that I sent my gathering to, it was to um, uh, one publisher named, um, I believe, Austin Maloli. And um, I didn't know much about them. And I researched who they were and they gave me um, paperwork to sign. And as I went more in depth into what their paperwork was, I realized this isn't what I what I wanted to do, and I, I want um, authors out there to know that you know look out for these pub look out for these publishers because, like as you said, they they're they're not really in the best interest for the authors. They're more into like making um, money for their company. So just be mindful about who you want to send your manuscript to do research, um, see the reviews from other book publishers and just make a right judgment call because everyone's just well, different. Exactly, exactly. Um, there were some publishers back in the day when I was like a teenager that I, I wrote a book like in high school and I sent it off to somebody <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing and they sent me a contract back and everything they would they were going to publish it if I gave them ten thousand dollars and that obviously never happened but um but yeah I mean they they sent a contract to me to me without even knowing my age I was like I'm 16 right. I can't find a contract <laughs> and they're like oh no worries we can get your parents permission and I was like okay 
this is, yeah, I'm not sure. Now, I'm not saying that you can't publish a book under the age of 18. You most certainly yes. can. I've seen it happen. Um, but if they're asking for that amount of money, there's something, front, fishy there's something about definitely them, yeah. fishy about that. Yeah. And just to say that there are some hybrid publishing companies. Hybrids are a little different from vanity publishing because um, usually hybrid companies are a little more selective mm -hmm. about who they choose to publish because the whole premise of their company is um, basically like, yeah, you are going to put a little bit of money into your book, um, either through editing, formatting. Um, they usually have professional editors and formatters and, and book cover designers with their team. And then what they'll do is once your book is published, they'll distribute for you. They'll even help you a little bit with the marketing um, by sending your book out to um, for free for people to read and uh, review. Um, sometimes they'll actually send off um, their, it's like marketing sheets basically to TV shows and radio stations and um, literary journals, just advertising like, hey, that you know this new book is launching. Um, now that what those companies do is usually put, you know, anywhere between, you know, a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand dollars to, on your book, but they don't actually make any money off your book until you make everything back with your book sales. And then after that, they start taking a little bit of their royalty percentage, whatever that is. It might be a percentage of the royalties. It might be 20 cents a book. Um, those are generally um, hybrid publishers. Um, I, they're not, I wouldn't say they're vanity publishers because like I said, if they're going to take that much of a, you know, dive on your book, like, okay, we're not going to make any money back until you make all of yours back. I would, I would say that, you know, that would be something if, if people are interested in doing that. Right. And that, that would be okay. One last thing before we end the interview and maybe you can, um, tell your readers about this. If you for readers out there that do have a story out there and they want to get it out, but they don't know whether they get it published, there is a contest that I will 100%. Now, I'm not an official spokesperson for this, but I've been doing this contest a lot and I have good relations with them. Um, it's L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future, and it's very well regarded and... What that is, it's a contest. You don't have to pay entry fee. You just have to create a fantasy, sci-fi, or dark fantasy story between or that 17,000 words or less and submit it to them. And this contest has helped a lot of writers, too. You've had writers from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Deadpool, some um, other fantasy or sci-fi authors have gone their careers from this contest. So for writers who want to experience that or at least dip their toe into the field of writing or that genre, I would definitely encourage um, anyone to check out L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future. And if you are an illustrator and you draw out your characters, what they want to look like, send that in too. They have an illustrator's contest and they also do a lot of cash prizes for it. So I definitely encourage all you readers out there and illustrators out there to check that contest out. Yeah, I, you know, I think I've actually heard of that contest. Oh, yeah. 
or I've seen it around. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Gabe. Really appreciate all your um, insight, especially with your books. They seem very interesting. I hope that you know you get more readers from thank this. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Um, I really enjoyed um, this discussion. It was very fun and. I look forward to um, sending this out to my uh, friends and family because they, they know I was on doing this interview and they can't wait for it to um, be up on Anchor when they can listen to it in their free time. That's perfect. And it'll also be on you know Spotify and Google Podcasts and stuff too because Anchor will um, put it through all of those other um, podcast um, platforms as well. So if they want to listen to any of the other uh, places, they can too. I'll make sure to have those Excellent. as well. Thank you again, um, Lauren. This has been a great, great time. And I wish you a great rest of your day today. Thanks. You too. You uh, as stay well. Stay safe over there. You as well. <laughs> So if you're enjoying these episodes that we've been doing recently with the first chapter book reviews, don't forget that you can also get these reviews as well. Um, all you have to do is go to my Inkit page. The bio will be in the link and you'll see the form on my profile. It's underneath the little world symbol. It'll take you straight to it. Fill out the form and we'll fit you in. We usually do these every Friday, so don't miss it. Thanks.